Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I think I can forgive because Christ forgives me. Um, I actually was at a speaking engagement about a month ago, and someone said, it was like we were doing a Q&A, and there was a woman, and she said, there's a special place in hell for some foster parents. Like, how do you forgive? And there's no better way to say it, I think, than there was a special place in hell for me until Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for my sins. And so so I think I I can just forgive because I know that I'm a hurt person that's hurt people. Um, I've hurt people just as much as people have hurt me. I need Christ's forgiveness. Like, we're just human. If you're wondering if God can truly move in the life of someone with all the odds stacked against them, well, today's guest is the perfect example of that. We're joined today by Tori Hope Peterson. She grew up in the foster care system. By the time she turned 18, she had been through 12 different foster homes. In spite of all of this, she overcame all of the negative stereotypes and assumptions that attacked her and her identity. And today she is a very successful woman and she shares her powerful testimony with us today on Connections. We're joined today by Tori Hope Peterson. She is an author and you have a powerful story that you write about in this new book. And we're going to get around to the book in a little bit, but we want to get to know you a little bit better. Your life and your story starts from when you were a child. Tell us a little bit about your life because your childhood wasn't like the average child. Tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in your home. I grew up with a single mom who struggled very much with mental illness because of what she had went through because of how she grew up. And, you know, we know that hurt people hurt people. So I was abused. Um, My sister and I were neglected. I went into the foster care system for the first time when I was four years old. But one of the the foster care system's roles, jobs, is to reunite families. So they did that. And I actually went back with my mom. But then as time went on, my mom's mental illness got worse. And and so I had to re-enter the foster care system again as an adolescent, this time with my sister. She was 10 years younger than me. And I thought this was like an opportunity for us to kind of escape the abuse. But we were just kind of re-entering chaos, another home um, after home after home and just within a month of being in that our first foster home together my sister and I were separated Um, and I moved throughout over 12 homes throughout my entire time in foster care until I emancipated the day I turned 18. What was that like for you as a young child uh, both the first time and the second time like could you understand why you were going uh, there did it feel like it was your fault or what was that experience like? Yeah, I think the first time I didn't understand at all. Like I, to me, my mom was not someone who was dangerous. Our lives were not something that was unusual. I was four, you know, you don't have any concept of abuse. Everything is just normal to you. And so I didn't understand what was going on. I remember there was a caseworker who was a woman who picked me up when the SWAT team was going through our home. And she just said, we're just going to leave for a little while. Um, And so I just thought, okay, we're going to leave for a little while. Um, It wasn't threatening. And then when I was older, you know, I knew I totally understood exactly why I was entering the foster care system. Um, And I was hopeful. But 
the most difficult part, I think, when I was older was kind of shape-shifting to each home, trying to be accepted, um, and just trying to figure out, like, how can I not move again? How can I belong? How did that affect you as a person and, and your beliefs and, and how you felt about yourself? Yeah, well, I still think, I think it still affects me today. Um, I feel like actually now I'm trying to figure out, like, who is touring? Um, my beliefs is I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I'm a messenger of the gospel. I love Jesus Christ and his heart for me and his heart for you and people. And I want to spread, you know, the message of the gospel so that people can know that they're deeply loved. But there's other parts of me that I know have just, you know, kind of shape-shifted, um, have kind of moved about to just please the people around me. I've always taken on hobbies um, of those that are closest to me to try and be close to them um, because I just want, wanted like those deep relationships that I didn't have as a kid. And now I feel like I'm in a healthy place to kind of admit that there are some really codependent tendencies that I like got from growing up the way I did. And now I'm trying to dig in and kind of rid those and, and refuel my confidence, my self-esteem. I think that because of my work, everyone, you know, I have to get on the stage and I speak to thousands of people or I get on a podcast and I really don't have fear in those things, but I have fear in my relationships that people are going to leave, that I'm not going to be good enough. Um, I have have more fear in that one-on-one -on -one intimate like setting. And so I think I'm trying to figure out that part of me um, and heal that part of me. Yeah, it's actually very easy to get up on a stage in front of hundreds and thousands and be very transparent and share your life story, isn't it? But it's when you're like, yeah, one on one, that gets scary when you've got to be real and there's no escape and no separation, I guess. Yeah. And when it's people, you know, I can leave a room of a thousand people and possibly never talk to them again. But like that one person that you want to build a friendship with or that one family member that comes into the family like you want you know that that's something that could be longevity that could last a long time so you want to do it well but I think because of my past I always doubt like can I do relationships well like and I think that's just something that I'm trying to um, navigate and figure out so how in the world do you go from being in foster care twice through 12 different homes, suffering abuse to now, you know, you've been Miss Universe, we should mention, and proudly proclaiming, oh, I'm a minister of the gospel. Like, how did that transition take place and all these things happen in your life? So my senior year of high school, I had a track coach who came into my life and well, he came in my sophomore year of high school, but it was really around my senior year that we got close, and he said this crazy thing. He was like, Tori, I think you can go on to the state track meet, and I think you can win. And I was like, this old man is crazy. No one could ever feel excited to <laughs> like that. And I was like, going to give it a try. Like, I don't have anything to lose. I don't have anything else going for me. So I trained with him, and I'd never been in the state track meet individually, I was going up against the defending state champion, 
but I became a four-time state champion in track and field. And that did put a lot of confidence in me. And it was just like this day that I knew, like I knew things were going to be different. I knew that I wasn't going to be a statistic anymore. That fear kind of left me. Like I just saw like, okay, I did something pretty incredible and I'm going to be able to go to college on a full ride scholarship. Um, and then that track coach, he actually welcomed me into his home and he became my dad. His family became my family. And so uh, I think that in between, you know, that accomplishment, that relationship, kind of a lot of the things, a lot of the things that were lost in my childhood were healed in a way. And um, I wanted other youth who had experienced foster care who had experienced um, abuse, neglect, who'd been through hard things, I wanted them to see that the worst parts of their lives could be made good. Um, I started doing pieces of foster care advocacy, and I started sharing my story um, probably here and there in college. Nonprofits and churches would come ask me to speak, and I had no idea what I was doing. I just wanted to say yes because I, had, I could see, you know, God had worked in my life. And I didn't want to waste the gift that he had given me. There were so many, there are so many other youth in foster care that don't have the opportunities that I have, that don't get to be encouraged the way that I was. And so whenever I was asked to speak, I never said no. Um, and then it kind of snowballed into sharing my story more online, um, being asked to come and speak more um, to what it is now. What's beautiful in all of this and throughout your journey is you've been able to forgive people. You've also been able to find this joy. How is that possible? You've been through so, so much and you still, you have this joy and you have this forgiveness, which a lot of us will struggle with in our own lives. So share with us how we can be more like you. I think I can forgive because Christ forgives me. Um, I I actually was at a speaking engagement about a month ago and someone said, there was like, we we're doing a Q&A and there was a woman and she said, there's a special place in hell for some foster parents. Like, how do you forgive? And there's no better way to say it, I think, than there was a special place in hell for me until Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for my sins. And so... I think I, I can just forgive because I know that I'm a hurt person that's hurt people. Um, I've hurt people just as much as people have hurt me. I need Christ's forgiveness. Like, we're just human. Um, and so that's why I think it's easy to forgive. And I think um, joy, I, I just continue to find joy. I feel very blessed uh, by God that he continues to give me purpose um, and that I can continue to see that there was a plan for the pain all along. Um, and so when there's pain now, when there's struggle now, I can just always tell myself, like, this isn't the end of the story. You're a powerful woman of God. Was God always there? What was that faith journey like for you? God was always there. I just don't always acknowledge him. Um, <laughs> came into my life I can see him so clearly you know from when I was a little girl my mom had scripture that was hanging on the walls you know I would be doing nothing and I would read it over and over and over again not 
not really knowing what it me- meant. But then as I got older, you know, that scripture was in my heart. But like our home was not a Christian home. Um, we didn't go to church. My mom didn't, you know, like I read my baby's scripture every night. We read the Bible every morning. We do a family devotion. Like my mom didn't do that stuff. But for some reason, there's scripture hanging on our wall. And I read it and it was in my heart. And then when I was in junior high, I actually went to go uh, to a juvenile detention center for an unruly charge. And the only thing that I could have in my cell was a Bible. And so I was reading my Bible and I was so encouraged by all of God's people who were would end up in jail. <laughs> but that God still loved and like set free. And then they would go preach the gospel. And I was like, oh, you know, like I did not, you know, welcome God into my life then, but I would read those stories and be like, okay, this isn't the end of the story. I went into foster care and there were church people who loved me so well. I was go I was going to church. Uh, foster mom was taking me to church. And the church I was going to, they they all, like almost everyone um, in leadership did foster care to some degree or they had adopted. And so it made me think like, oh, okay, maybe church people do care about me. And then that made me think maybe Jesus cares about me. But I was still kind of skeptical and pretty mad at God because I thought if you loved me so much, why wouldn't you have given me a dad? Like that would have solved a lot of issues. I wouldn't have had to go into the foster care system. Uh, I would have had someone to take me out of the abuse that I was going through. But as I started to learn more about God and his character, I understood that he was my father. Like he was the father I was always looking for and he had protected me and loved me and he had prepared me for so many things. And I could see that there was a plan, you know, like I said, for the pain all along. And that's when I started to have softness. It wasn't like a moment that I was like, okay, Jesus, here I am. It was really just like a softness towards him that kept growing until I realized like, I understand that I'm loved, that I'm known, that there is a plan and purpose for my life and that God has been there, my father, the whole time. And that's a truth that I want other people to know. And I want to live it out so that other people know that. You've uh, you've mentioned a few times you knew growing up, the story's not over yet. The story's not over yet. Now you've actually written a story about your story up to now called Fostered. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book and why you decided to share your life story this way. I wrote the book because I thought there are other kids, youth, teenagers, people who've experienced the system who could be encouraged by this, who could understand um, that they can overcome all things with Christ. But then as I was sharing pieces of it on social media, you know, kind of uh, preparing to launch the book, I understood that it was a resource for people who wanted to help kids who came from hard places. It was a resource for people who wanted to help underserved communities, but didn't quite know how. Um, it was a resource for the church, people who are involved in foster care. Um, and that's not what I had anticipated. I'm so, you know, God can do so much, you know, so much more than what we even imagine with our obedience. I was, when I wrote the book, I was like, this is for youth in foster care um, or youth who've experienced it. And then God has done so much more with that. um, And I'm so grateful. 
your book has impacted so many, so much so that your books sold out immediately. Uh, were you shocked with the response from people and your book and how they they were immediately like, I need this book and I need it now? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was so shocked that we sold out on launch day. Um, also, there is, I want to say that I'm not shocked because the people on my social media are so amazing. They're so kind, so supportive, so loving. You know, they are so much of the reason that I had the confidence to continue to share the story. They were so much of the voice that said, you've got to write a book. We need more of this. And they, you know, they reply to the things that I write and they say, we started fostering because we heard your story or we were adopting our daughter today because your track coach adopted you. Um, and so through that, I just, I want to say that I'm not surprised because I want to shine a light on like the amazing character and kindness um, of those people that I never even met face to face. What was it like writing the book for you? Was it difficult to relive a lot of those moments? Yes. Um, there were days that I would be very grumpy um, <laughs> that my family definitely experienced the brunt of writing the book. Um, just, I think that there, you know, when I was in the foster care system, when I was in college, I did counseling. Um, journaling and writing has always been a practice that I've done. But when you're writing a book, it's not just like you write it and then you leave it, like journaling. It's like you write it and you review it over and over again, (laughs) you know, because you're editing it. And I think that it was definitely harder on me than I had anticipated because I'd done counseling, because I'd done the journaling. I was like, I got this. This is easy piece. Like, I pretty much already written all these things. But it's a totally different process. It brings up a lot of triggers. Yes. And you have your own chapter on that in the book, correct? Yes. It just brings up, um, you know, I think when, when you have trauma, you put it you know, like to function, you dissociate you and people can talk about dissociation, like it's a bad thing. Um, I say that dissociation can also be a gift from God. Like it's something that he gave us so that we're not constantly living in a trauma response. And so when we have trauma, we put it somewhere else in our brain. And then we, you know, continue on. But when you're typing it out and reviewing it over and over again, it has to come to like whatever, whatever part of your brain that makes you remember it. Um, and that is definitely triggering in ways that I did not expect. What do you say to uh, maybe young people that happen to see this and hear this uh, and they're in the system right now and they feel they have no hope or nobody cares for them or loves them? What kind of words of encouragement do you give to kids in the system? it gets better. I remember when I was a kid in care and I'd be like, I can't wait till I turn 18. I can't wait to emancipate. And adults would be like, oh, when you turn 18, it's going to, you like, you think it's going to be easy. It's going to be so hard. You're going to have to pay bills. You're going to have kids. And then I would get really discouraged. I'd be like, it's not going to get better than this. 
but it totally does. Like life as an adult, when you're responsible for your own things and you don't have a government system like running your life, it really, it really does get better. And children are beautiful and paying bills is not that hard if you have a job. So I want to encourage them like really practical. It gets better. And then I also want to tell them, you know, people can kick you out. People cannot want you. You just have to say, okay, God, like I'm here. I want that. And there are people who say, I don't want to be your friend. I don't want you to be my kid. But God says, you're a son, you're a daughter of his. And you just have to say, yes, God, like that is my name. And he will do so much with that. What would you say to a foster parent that may be listening? What's the best advice that you have for them? You went through 12 homes and experienced plenty. What would you say to them? Oh, um, that's a harder, that's a harder question. Um, I always feel like giving parents advice is so silly because I'm a parent now. And I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As um, a youth in foster care, I think that I, I think one of the most beneficial things for me as a young adult was people not giving me unsolicited advice because like teenagers don't want advice. Um, Young people don't want advice, but instead ask good questions. Because when I had people ask me good questions, it would lead me to the answers that I often needed to hear that were sometimes hard to hear, but I was, it was like I was figuring it out myself even though my parents were leading me into into that I see that like they were leading me into that direction um but they knew not to give me advice because it would and that's like of course like youth if you're in foster care like receive wise counsel um scripture says the fool despises wisdom and discipline but if you're a foster parent you have to understand that teenagers just don't have that mindset yet and Mm. you'd probably Uh, go the route of asking good questions rather than giving unsolicited advice. You're a parent yourself now, two of your own and one that you've adopted. How amazing is that to be able to adopt now yourself and include that in your own family? Yes, life um, as a parent is complicated. I never feel like I'm doing it right. I think that's because I didn't have these examples of doing it right but then as I talk to more moms they actually say that they never feel like they're doing it right either and some of them have had great moms um but I just want to be different than you know how I grew up I want to be a different mom than the mom I grew up with and I think I'm always trying to balance you know work I love my work I love my advocacy Um, I feel like God has called me to this ministry, but I know that God has also called me to the ministry of my children. So always balancing that out is very tricky. Uh, Really quick. One thing I noticed right away, your middle name, Hope, is that a given name? Is that chosen? Tell it. I just find that great. (laughs) Yes. So my full name is Victoria Hope and my mom actually chose that. My biological Uh mom actually named me that when I was born. And I love my name. My mom, um, I talk about this in the very first chapter in my book. My mom was diagnosed with AIDS before I was born. Mm. And she prayed, God, if I don't have victory, that's okay. But please give this baby victory. And then Uh someone 
her a card with the scripture of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which yeah. says, you know, there's a hope and a plan and a future for you. And so she took the word hope out of that and said, I'm going to name this baby Victoria Hope. I was born and the doctor announced that the test was actually a false positive and my mom did not have AIDS. Wow. 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 That's amazing. Okay, how can we find out the rest of the story? How can we find your book? How can we follow you online and stay up to date with what you're doing? You can purchase my book, Foster It, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, wherever you get your books. And you can follow me um, on Instagram. I just made a sub stack, which has been very exciting. Uh, (laughs) You can find me on pretty much any social media um, at Tori Hope Peterson. And Peterson is S-E-N, not S-O-N. Beautiful. Thank you so much for making time for us. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It was so fun. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.